Hello, welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. On this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with Devin Shimoyama, a wonderful artist and close friend. Devin grew up in Philadelphia and went to Penn State for his BFA before completing his MFA from Yale University in painting and printmaking in 2014. Upon graduating, Devin began teaching at Carnegie Mellon University, which is where I first met him. As an artist, Devin seeks to depict the black, queer, male body as something that is both desirable and desirous. Devin has shown throughout the United States and is currently represented by DeBuck Gallery in New York City. In this discussion, Devin talks about his experience at Yale, fan art, barbershops, and sci-fi and fantasy novels. His debut solo museum show at the Andy Warhol Museum, entitled Cry Baby, just opened last week and runs through until March 17th, 2019. If you are in Pittsburgh and have a chance, please go and see the show. I hope you enjoy this. Story, which was cool. I mean, he's rich enough to buy any of your paintings, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, for sure. I mean, he, he like owns like a really nice house in Miami. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So right now I'm here with Devin Shimoyama in his studio on Carnegie Mellon's campus and surrounded by all these new paintings that's going to go into, looks like, sounds like three or four different places around yeah, the US, three, the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some of them will be in the Warhol show. Some of them will be in London for Freeze. And then some of them will be in Chicago for Expo. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess the start off was just your background, where you where you grew up, um, how you came to become a painter. Yeah, I grew up in, born and raised in Philadelphia, um, <clears throat> and that was, you know, I've never moved. That was like my childhood home. It's still where my grandparents live. Yeah. Um, I always was drawing growing up. Um, especially in Philly, I took some classes at uh, PAFA and I believe it was maybe U Arts. Um, I started taking figure drawing classes over the summer and then also during like the school year on Saturdays. And and then I just really fell in love with figure drawing specifically. I then went to Penn State for undergrad and was not majoring in art at all. I majored in life sciences. So, um, I mean, at a certain point, you know, you would filter into a more specific major, but I had only right. been in that major for like two years, like right up to the point right before right. declaring exactly what that major would be. So I was just broadly in life sciences. So like bio biology. Yeah. Um, I then just literally woke up one day and was like, I'm going to change my major. Um, that, that, that must have been an amazing feeling. Yeah. It was uh, a moment where I realized I was like, I don't really want to do, um, 
you know, I don't want to be a doctor. I'm way too squeamish. I don't want to do, um, <laughs> you know, I don't really want to be stuck in the lab doing research all day. Yeah. Um, I can't stand writing papers. So that wasn't for me. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, here's this other thing that I do and I do it well and I should just go for that. The other thing that I did growing up was also playing music. So I played classical music my entire upbringing. So I started playing um, violin when I was about six. Um, and I played up until I was about like 22, something like that. Yeah. Um, so that was like a huge decision too, sort of like choosing between the thing. Basically, I like sort of was when I decided um, where I was going to school, it all was like, okay, am I going to go? Here are three things that I'm not terrible at. <laughs> um, drawing, uh, playing classical music. I played other instruments at that by the time I was deciding to go to college. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in science. And so those were the things that I was like good enough at that I was like, I could, I was like, what actually has a career that I can name and feasibly go for? And I chose science and um, I just thought it was way too boring. It just wasn't for me. So when you switched over to art, mm -hmm. did you actually think you would have a career or you're just like, I hate science or I don't hate science. I think I hated all the classes that I had to take. Like I was only interested in learning about like, animals <laughs> and cells and i was not interested in like physics um chemistry uh you know like physical chemistry organic chemistry like those things were not super difficult it just like for me felt more um just dry it sort of wasn't you know well I, I i like an immediate result yeah um and so like i you painting. know yeah like I, I i'm like way too scatterbrained and yeah, i i yeah. just I can't, you know, sit through all of that to get to what I actually want to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, with, with painting, even the way that I work is, like, pretty fast. Um, yeah, just so you make a gradient. Yeah. It's done and you see it and it looks good. <laughs> it was pretty fast. It I was, was, I was really pretty impressed with myself. I haven't. It was really I, fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, because sometimes they can take a while, but that was, like, you know, I like to have pretty quick turnover so yeah yeah science wasn't for me but did you did you think you could actually have a career out of art because for me i remember like i did art but i was always like okay i'm gonna be like a designer like i didn't have any role models where mm -hmm. i'm like oh here's this person who is an actual artist you know what i mean so yeah that's why i had to wait for me a few years graduating before <clears throat> i graduating I, from undergrad undergrad before yeah. i I would even say I'm an artist. Like if someone asked me what I was doing, I'd just say whatever my job was. So like, right. I'm an SAT teacher, I'm a web developer. Yeah. And then like, I always was like, can I call myself an artist? And I'd never felt comfortable until yeah. like much later. I, um, <laughs> that's funny. I never really, uh, so when, when I was growing up, we had a, I had a close family friend, um, my mom, one of her best friends, uh, Char, is an artist and has always been an artist and um, not, not sort of participating in the same art network or circuit that I'm participating yeah, in now, but um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, like Char always made like incredible, incredible drawings and, um, and paintings and was just an incredible technician. Like she can really just render something in its likeness. And I was always fascinated by that. Um, and you know, my whole life like selling work and showing and um but just in a different capacity to what i'm doing um so i did see an artist growing up a lot of the time um for sure but and 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 my mom and 
finish art always were really, really supportive and pushing me towards that, um, towards making art because it was a passion of mine growing up. Yeah. Um, and then when I changed my major to art, I knew that I was like, I, if I'm doing this, I'm going to be an artist, like, period. Right. That's Full on, it. 100%. Um, yeah, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but that's, like, what I'm always going to say that I'm doing, you know, even if I'm working, like, four different jobs at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, right after graduating from... Actually, it was... Yeah, so it was uh, my... I guess it would be my last year or maybe my junior year. I can't remember. It must have been my senior year. Um, I had one professor that was a visiting professor, Brian Alfred, actually. And he, mm. um, he was there just for that one year. And I was just, like, in my studio all the time, like, like all day, that's, all night. That's, like, that's a good feeling. It was good, It was, but, like, there was nobody else around. <laughs> so it was just, like, me and him. And I think he was working towards a show or something. And so, like, uh, I think – and so he was using his office for his studio while he was teaching there. Um, and I just remember being in there working, and he was like, oh, so do you actually want to do this, like, and actually do it? And I was like, do what? And he was like, be an artist. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think so. Like, I don't see why not. Like, this is, yeah, pretty much the goal. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and he was like, oh, okay, well, you need to be in here more. And I was like, I'm already <laughs> I was like, I'm already in here more than, like, so many other people here. But, um, but I mean, he wasn't wrong. I, I Like, it's it felt like at the time, like, I was working a lot, but I – also was catching up, right? So I had to take a lot of classes to try to graduate in a reasonable amount of time. So yeah. I was, I was, you know, doing homework and so, you know, so it wasn't really like I was in there just doing my own thing. Right. Um, I was some, to some extent for sure, but, um, but no, that was like totally accurate. I mean, I, I needed to be in there for me more than for class. And I think, um, I don't know. I just like, was like, okay, well, I'm going to like, do that and yeah. so you know i was in there a lot i was I, I had like zero social life which is fine um most of my friends had graduated after that because I, I took an extra semester so most of my peers like were gone 19 out of the 25 of us graduated in one semester and i should have been in that class yeah, so i was yeah. like well i don't have any other friends so i'm just gonna <laughs> make just to make, them make work um and so you know then we cultivated a new group of people in the studios and it was awesome because we were all just like working all the time and it was it was great um and so then i just was like you know what i'm gonna take this year and just make my portfolio and apply to grad schools and just see what happens I think a lot of people were like, oh, you'll probably have to apply a couple times, so you should just do it now. And how'd I did. How did you feel about that? Uh, when people said that? Yeah. Um, I felt like they were telling the truth. Uh, I, I, I believe that. I still believe that. I feel like most people probably do have to apply a few times to get into the program that they really, really want. Um, I think that I think that's the case for a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, do you think people should do that? That's, that's I think thought. people should only apply to schools that they want to go to, mm. period. And if you apply to anywhere else that you you just want to prove to yourself that you can get in, sure, waste 60 to $120 if you want. But I, I do think that um, you should only go somewhere that you actually want to go. I know a lot of people say you should only go somewhere for free. I think you should only go somewhere where that you actually want to go that will that you believe will give you the best education and the best atmosphere to make you the best artist. So I don't, I don't think, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think that you should go somewhere just cause it's cheap. Right. 
um, unless that's the perfect place for you. Yeah. Um, I'd rather not go to school than go somewhere that's cheap and get an MFA that, you know, yeah. I don't feel like helped me in any way. Right, right. Um, I guess, but that's the hardest yeah. part, right? Figuring out, seeing yeah. if you know yourself well enough, but also seeing if from the brief moments that you are visiting whatever campus that you want to go to, that, that yeah. also will help you. Yeah. And for me, I was like, you know, I felt behind. I didn't go to a school that really showed me what it was like in the actual art world. Um, you know, Penn State was great because I got plenty of attention. I got plenty of great feedback and one on one time with my professors, which was amazing. And um, but I didn't really, you know, it's far from New York and it doesn't feel anything even close to New York or the art world. And there's no art market there. So it, uh, you know, I felt like I was a little bit behind in, in that way. Um, so I knew that I needed to go to somewhere either in proximity of a major city that does have an art market or, right. um, or just a top program that has access to um, uh, contemporary artists that are currently showing and working and all of in, in that sphere so i only right. applied to schools with people like that yeah. I, um, and then i ended up getting into my number one program yeah my first time applying which was great how was that uh it was it was funny i couldn't even believe it well i thought i was getting rejected because they send you like an email and you have to open oh, up oh you yeah. thought it'd be like a big package <laughs> that's what you thought yeah i didn't know what it was going to be so yeah. i you know i get this email and they're like oh you have to open this um letter than an email and i was like oh okay this is my rejection <laughs> you know because you, you see on like in movies and stuff you know people get this like you either get a small envelope or you get a big like yeah, yeah. <laughs> big envelope right and i was like oh i got an email <laughs> it's like it was for sure this is it i just always assume i'm rejected yeah 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 well i i had gotten quite a few rejections i got into two other programs but i got rejected from the other ones that i really thought like i would go to other than yale and i was like oh if i got rejected from these ones i'm definitely not getting into yale you know yeah, yeah. um and so it's just like a knows you just never know i know but uh yeah the i got in and i was like well i'm gonna go so i went there and it was a culture shock for sure i definitely was behind um yeah i but i i felt like it was really good for me i was in a period of exponential growth and and so it just like really helped me um figure out where i wanted to go with painting and and art in general expanding beyond I started doing a few sculptural things while I was there. I did a short film um, in collaboration with two of my classmates. Um, I did, you know, installation stuff. I, did, you know, I, I started to do a lot more outside of painting as well. So that yeah. was really great. I mean, when you were telling me about your experience, I think when I was um, TAing for you, I remember just the way you were describing it seemed really unique, at least your education in the sense that you had access and you and your peers had access to all these successful painters who were telling you how to paint in very different ways that I felt yeah. like when I look back at my undergrad and also at Carnegie Mellon, where like everyone's sort of teaching how to paint the same way, right? Like here's your gesso, here's your turpentine or your gamsol or whatever. And like, it seemed, and then they're pretty similar to like how I learned in, in high school. But then I remember when you, I saw you teaching the, uh, the class, it was like, you were very specific about the ratios 
in a way that I don't think I ever saw. And then you were telling me how you basically learned all these different methods by yeah. all these different painters. And I thought that was pretty um, fascinating. Oh my God. Like I've, I've had like two studio visits with Angela Dufresne and that changed my entire practice. And yeah. literally, I mean, the feedback was really valuable for sure. But also the main thing that I took from that was like how to wet sand and properly prepare yeah. your surface to make the marks that you want to make. Like things like that. Like, and it's so simple, but you it don't, is, you don't see that. I, no. At least I don't see that often. No. So it's like an interesting thing. Like even thinking of the stressing the foundation of your surface and what you're painting on and right, um, right. how much that matters. Um, you know, I learned about, about oil ground and I tried that out. That did not work for me. It works wonders for other painters but right. that's not something that i can use um so yeah it was a lot of uh feedback from a lot of different people i mean byron kim gave me incredibly poignant at studio visits i what mean was he's he just like, like <laughs> quiet uh at first like he really listens and yeah. looks and observes and yeah um and takes his time before giving you any feedback and i hadn't had a lot of people do that you know a lot of people come in and give you a cold read right off the back and, and it's like really they quick they project yeah. the stuff um and it's quicker uh, he really took his time and gave thoughtful feedback which was really really valuable to me and even thinking of how i teach and like i'd rather listen first and really look and see a number of things from somebody before uh telling someone what they need to do in their right, work right 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 <laughs> yeah yeah, so that was really valuable too, in, in a different way. And but he was he was he one of your advisors or as a student? No. So uh, the way that the program is sort of like set up is like um, there's so many visiting lecturers or just people that are just there dedicated to the grad program that come in three to six times in the semester and visit with people. So just a critic, you know. So um, he was just a visiting critic, and he would come to a certain number of the pit crits that we would have there. And then he would also uh, do studio visits with all of the grads. Right. Um, as did people like Josephine Halverson. Um, Micheline Thomas was a core critic while I was there. Uh, Angela Dufresne, even people like Fong Bui, which was great. Um, yeah. Wide range of yeah. people that like, I never would have thought I'd have a chance to interact with these people, let alone have them, talk about I my work one-on-one on like one. it's mind-boggling yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and then so then from Yale uh you immediately got a teaching gig right yeah that was my my life has been a sequence of um really great timing <laughs> um and always making me the youngest wherever I'm going but um yeah so coming out of grad school, I applied to residencies, I applied to teaching jobs, and I applied to jobs, right? So I was like, okay. Well, I actually, no, this was the only teaching job I applied to. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. You're like one for one. Yeah. <laughs> I applied to mostly residencies and jobs. Um, yeah, the teaching, it, it came up late. Like, it was like a... Did you envision yourself as a teacher? I went to grad school to teach. Like, I knew I wanted to teach. Um, so that was, like, definitely goal i just didn't anticipate being 24 and yeah. teaching I, and younger than all the grad students yeah, it's weird <laughs> uh, i remember just um, like wow like this this, this person's killing it um <laughs> and also it was also slight like what what's he gonna teach us yeah uh, well just, i didn't just really so, interact with the grads that much my first year it yeah. was, uh but no yeah it was like this weird thing where i just applied this job popped up a friend of mine in grad school was like oh hey this girl that i know is I'm um, leaving her position at CMU to go get a tenure track job and 
there's this one year gig opening up and I was like, okay, I'll just apply and just to see, cause I have everything to apply already. So I might right, as well. Right. Um, and then I got the job and it was a better deal than taking any residency. Um, you know, I get insurance, I get more money and yeah. it's like, you know, it just was like a better deal. I still get a studio. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I was like, okay, I'll do this thing for one year and then I'll go off and do something else. I mean, now it's been like, I'm going on five years, but, um, and longer. Yeah. Uh, but it just, it just became, uh, when I got here, what happened was, as I said, you know what, I'll do this for one year, but then it got, I got offered to make it, to extend it into a two year gig. Um, and I said, you know what, I'll do this two years. And if I can make Pittsburgh work, I'll try my hardest to stay here and maintain this teaching job and, um, and maintain my practice. Cause I would much rather, live remotely from New York to make work. A lot of my friends were having a really hard time doing both, right. uh, you know, paying for a, an apartment and a studio, um, maintaining, juggling multiple jobs or adjuncting at like three different schools. And I was just like, that sounds stressful. Uh, yeah. And I, I really wanted to put my practice at the forefront of whatever I was doing. Um, and I felt like that would be really, a little too challenging in New York. Um, way too many distractions and and I was able to actually have a clear mind here in Pittsburgh which was really nice and be removed from that um, competitive nature in New York uh, and I could just make work and not feel like I was uh, constantly I don't know just like looking at work and comparing myself to it or um, I don't know being way too aware of what all of my peers are doing right, right i'm already aware enough of it through you know social media and all of that so i was like i can't even imagine like being immersed in it full force um so yeah i, I just was able to do that remotely and it worked out um i one thing that i've always wondered though um is do you think you'd be able to do that if you say hadn't gone to yale because i'm just i'm just i'm just thinking question. like because I, I mean i yeah. i know i've I guess I've been following your career because I know I've been yeah. I've known you since since it since it started. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know I, I remember looking you up on Google and discovering yeah. your uh, Deviant Art. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, Disney uh, caterpillar. That was a ca- caterpillar one. check. I got like fifteen hundred dollars yeah. from that. Yeah, Devin. Devin, like, Devin won a Disney competition. That's too. right. Check it out. Uh, draw Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, um, it was. Imagine yourself in Wonderland. Yeah. It was when the. Uh, the, the movie was the movie out. came out with Johnny with Mia Depp. Mia or however you say her last name, and Johnny Depp. Um, yeah, and you had to like do a self portrait as one of the characters. Right. And I did uh, it as the uh, caterpillar. Yeah, taking a puff. Yeah, yeah, I'm hooking. <laughs> but the, but the re- but the reason I asked that is because like I'm just thinking about you know my career and then everyone around me and how it seems you you having gone to Yale you got a lot of connections at the same time to allow you to have group shows to be seen while being away from Pittsburgh. Whereas I'm not seeing that happen as much with like, say CMU grads or like other, sure. Other peers. Um, um, I didn't do group shows with anybody from school. I wasn't part of that. Like mm. that's a thing that does happen at Yale yeah, for sure. Right. Um, and people do that. A lot of people in photo, they have a group show right after school that shows at a major gallery in New York. And then in Chicago, they, they showed at flag arts, and then somewhere in Chicago and then somewhere in LA, um, people show like people from painting had a group show in New Haven, like, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't anything. Like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So um, I wasn't, kind of, I wasn't really part of that group, like right after school. I 
did things like um, I was on the cover of New American Paintings while I was in school. That helped a lot, but that had almost nothing to do with Yale, right? Um, and then I was on I was in New American Paintings again the year after, so or two years after, or something like that, um, which again had nothing to do with Yale. But those things uh, at the time, I don't know how much they matter now. Um, I love that publication. I always see really exciting things in it, but I don't know how much people are looking at it. But at the time, people were contacting me, um, inviting me to be in shows or a- asking about prices of my work and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So there was that. There, I, I wasn't really shy about like getting my work out there. So I, I was in group shows in like Denver, at places I hadn't heard of, Tampa. I was like, um, you know, somewhere in uh, where, where else? I feel like. Um, oh, uh, is it Port? Yeah, Portland, Oregon, or Maine? Oregon. Um, I have been in a show in Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine, as well. But that was with um, a friend of mine who graduated with me, started up a gallery. Oh, right, yeah, but yeah, um, Abel Baker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just uh, so for me, I, I was just like not shy about sending my work to places. I yeah. always believed like if the work is good. Um, you know, people will respond to it. And, you know, some, if people see it, then they'll either respond to it positively and it'll keep getting shown in different locations. I, I do believe that to an extent. It's, that's not to say that, like, just because your work is good and you're showing in Bumblefuck Nowhere that you're going to, like, skyrocket to whatever. But I, th- it is to say that I, I do believe that people respond well to good work, not just from your resume. I do think that Yelp does help that though you know somebody sees something in a show that maybe isn't at a major gallery but this person went to yell they like the work yeah that i'm sure yeah yeah plays a factor into why they might contact me for sure right right um i do i i am aware of that and i don't i don't really i don't know if it matters as much now but i'm sure that helped me get to where i am right i mean now. kudos yeah. to you right yeah yeah, I guess. Like, you, was, like you said, you only want to go to the school that you want yeah, to go to. Yeah, and, right? and that's the thing is like, I was like, if I don't get in yeah. to any of these schools that I really want to go to, yeah, I'm not going to school right now. Yeah. You know, I will wait until I, I make work that's good enough to go to these places. Yeah, um, yeah. To get me to the point of where I want to be in my career. So, yeah. Um, Which I thought, I think that's like really valuable advice because no one ever told me that. Oh. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> like, like, I'm not yeah. sure where I'd be if like I didn't get into CMU. And then, like, I think my second choice would have been, like, Parsons, but that had, mm-hmm. that had like, 20 grand a year, two Ooh. years living in New York. And, like, I'm just looking back, I'm like, I don't think that's a good choice. But also looking back, I'm not sure I would have said no and yeah. taken an extra year to make more work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, which is, but, like, I think the way, if you, if I had met someone like you yeah. back then, I think it would have gone about things differently. I don't know. But well, it's a good thing you went here. Yes. <laughs> after after <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter now. But it's a good thing you didn't end up going to somewhere that you, you know, that you weren't super. Yeah, I was like, I was like lukewarm. Yeah. I was lucky. I think that yeah. I got into CMU. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I just like really have always. I, maybe it's because I'm a Sagittarius, but I really just believe that like things will go well. I'm very positive about a lot of things that maybe seems a little clueless of me, but I just, I, I'm really unabashed about that. I, mm. I um, put positive energy out and I'm always thinking positively that things will work out. Um, yeah. And even when things maybe don't play out in the way that I hope or want, there's always something still positive about whatever that is. And so even 
yeah, I don't know. I, I think I have a a, ch- a cheerful outlook on life. Yeah. <laughs> optimism there. Yeah. I think I'm like that, but also when I'm striving for something, I think I'm not going to get it. So I'm never, so it's not like not, I don't think it's like not positive, but I just, I'm just going to assume I'm yeah. not going to get it and I'm just going to work as hard as I can. So and be that, pleasantly surprised. And be pleasantly, <laughs> pleasantly surprised, but also convince myself like, oh, I've worked, it. I, yeah. I worked hard. Mm-hmm. So like uh, I did everything that I think I could have done. Well, that's, you know what I mean? That's also part of my mentality is like, I also like worked my ass off, yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I wasn't just like putzing around just like, oh, whatever, I'll just do this and then I'll get into yeah. Yale. Like, no, I worked really, really hard. And you, st- you still are. Um, I and mean, then I, yeah. no, no shade to anyone here, but you're like one of the few people who are here all the time. I'm here a, a lot. I'm, my studio's in here. Yeah. part of it. But yeah. I'm, but I'm that I know, like yeah. every time I contact you, you're like in studio, but I can't always yeah. say the same thing about other people. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's nice that I, I mean, part of that is like I've worked to the point where I have a lot of deadlines. So mm-hmm. I, actually have to be in here um right. a lot but it's also because like before i had deadlines i was in here all the time yeah yeah trying to like get some deadlines yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know uh you create so, your own deadlines yeah, yeah yeah i mean i i even did some when i first got here i did a couple shows locally um i think even after i had been here for a couple years i did a local show at the uh, pittsburgh center for the arts right yeah, so yeah. like for me that gives me an opportunity to take some risks get my work into a space and photograph it, see what it looks like, put it out there in the world and then propose it for other things. Right. Um, it allows me to try things that I normally maybe wouldn't feel comfortable just debuting at a show in New York, but I can see how it works. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not shy about sending things to shows that aren't like, you know, maybe the most glamorous and getting reviews in art forum and yeah, yeah. hyper allergic or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm fine if it's not going to have that. Like that's okay. I, not, not gonna <laughs> have, like not gonna have the review. Yeah, like for me, it's I, I just really, really want to make the work and and put it out there, and I want real people to actually encounter it and experience it and hear feedback from those people. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, I agree. Um, I guess looking at your work, I am curious about your use of your body. I see a lot, a lot of times I see your body and I'm trying to figure out when you decide to use your body, when you decide to use someone else's body. I know a lot of your earlier work is solely your body. It seemed seemed like you hugging yourself and could you talk about that and how that shifted over? Sure. Um, So I kind of think of my work in chapters almost. So uh, a lot of that work that was primarily self-portraiture is kind of all a part of a similar project that I was exploring where I was kind of creating this shamanistic character and I was just using my body as the template for that character. So Mm. my body became kind of like an archetype for um, my identity like in in general. So um, how would you describe the archetype? Like a, a black queer male, right? So that's kind of just a blanket statement for that. So for that identity. And for me, that figure was this shamanistic character sharing stories of tiny moments of magic. I was creating my own origin mythology of that, Mm. um, of that queer black male. And so it it just uh, needed to be consistent, whoever that figure was. And Mm. I was like, if I'm going to make, you know, 50 paintings, right? Like I need 
somebody to be there all the time. Right, you like, need that me. narrative to be so, consistent. Yeah, so I just use my own body out of convenience. Um, and then uh, when I started the series of barbershop paintings, I knew that I didn't want them to all be of me. So um, I started making portraits of other individuals. Generally, though, they are kind of fictional people. They're not quite specifically anybody um they found found images found images that i kind of alter the features change the haircut that they have or um you know things like that like i might uh make someone's nose a little bit wider and Mm. make their lips use somebody else's mouth or you know things like that and so it became again like it, it it's not about specifically that individual but it's more about the culture of the black barbershop at large and so i'm not so interested in those individuals, you know, I have had people write about that work um, and make assumptions that all of them share my identity. I think people love to like they're all black gay men. Yeah, yeah, um, and not all of them are even men. Right, <laughs> um, right. Some of them are. Uh, there's a couple that are queer women or masculine appearing women. Um, some of them are. I mean, most of them aren't even real people necessarily because, again, I, I alter a lot of their features. So. Right. I don't know what their identities are. Some of them are real people, I'm sure, because I drew it from a found image. But I don't know that person. I don't want to project that onto anybody. I think it's um, a lot of, maybe it's just the culture of like what is happening right now in the art world. That people are totally fascinated by someone's identity before they are fascinated by the work itself. You know, like I feel like they're... The artists, you mean? Yeah, they're more fascinated by the artist's identity than they are the work itself and I think that people like to project a number of things into the work that I'm not necessarily putting into it I mean it's certainly there right through my lens but that's not like what I'm depicting necessarily right Um, right I'm certainly queering the barbershop through those paintings um but I'm not depicting queer people necessarily I don't know right right um so it's it's uh it's interesting to see how people respond to the work. I'm totally fine with all of those reads, but it is uh, something that I think is interesting to see um, how much people assume. Yeah. So, yeah, the, I've recently started doing more specific portraits uh, in more recent bodies of work. So sort of branching out from the barbershop, I started doing these uh, portraits of friends of mine or people that I've actually met um, in their own homes that are queer and black identifying, um, doing their own grooming routines in their homes, tending to their hair. Um, oh, I didn't know that you bathrooms. moved out. I didn't know you moved out of the barbershop. So yeah, any of the portraits of um, black men in their bathroom, that those are specific people. I know all of those people. Some of them are me. Some of them are close friends of mine or people that I've met through other friends. Right. Um, and then even more recently, a lot of the work that I'm doing, doing portraits of drag queens, those are all people that I actually met in Miami. Right, right. Um, some of them I've met here in Pittsburgh um, when they were traveling or something like that. And so, yeah, there's uh, those are specific individuals. So that's, um, so again, like I think of everything kind of in chapters. So it's, uh, and that's not to say I don't return to things. I, I do, I every now and again, we'll make one of the paintings that sort of fits into that mythological realm um or i'll do a performance that kind of riffs off of some of that work um or i'll do i'll go back and make another barbershop painting or something if i'm in the mood to yeah um, yeah yeah it's it, it and it's actually kind of nice to return to to something with i don't know with new perspective with having 
read a bunch of stuff about it that people have written or done or talked about the work to other people or um, moved on to another project and then learned uh, a new something through this new body of work and right. bringing that into the previous body of work. I don't yeah, know. So, yeah. yeah, that's kind of how I choose. It's like um, this work that I'm about to start now is actually a por- I'm doing two simultaneous things. So I'm making these portraits of drag queens. Um, I'm thinking of them more as like fan art in Have a way. you started one as a drag queen? Um, yeah, so these two over here, there's uh, this bodybuilder uh, drag queen in Miami that I met, Miss Toto. Uh-huh. I have a portrait of her. She's going to be actually coming to perform on opening night of my show at the Warhol. Awesome. Uh, which will be awesome. She'll get to see the piece in person too, which is great. I'm doing another portrait of um, a friend of hers that's a drag queen also from Miami, sensitive black hottie. <laughs> Um, I love that yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just, you know, there's a number of them that I'll be making portraits of, and I think of them as like fan art for me. And I, I kind of love um, putting these performers on, in this pedestal and putting them into this space and forcing people to look at them that maybe normally would not attend mm. a drag show in, in those venues, right, but um, right. maybe we'll hang a, a beautiful portrait of them in their home. I don't right. Know. Um, so it's, yeah, I kind of. Yeah, so those are kind of fan art for me. So that's like a different chapter. Um, I love how you call them fan art. Yeah, I love. I, the thing is, is like I love stuff that's tacky. I think there's something really beautiful about it. I have on my desk here a, a gorgeous rhinestone hat that I got in Miami. It's super tacky, oh, touristy wow. uh, stuff that you get at South Beach. Yeah. Um, but there's something really beautiful about the tacky, the sort of like faux. Uh, it's like, you know, it's feigning expensive or luxury, you know? Yeah. Um, and underneath the right li- underneath the right lighting conditions, anything could be a diamond, I think. On an Instagram photo. Look in an Instagram photo. Yeah. So, you know, people do it all the time in queer culture, drag culture, um, yeah. uh, black culture. I mean, people are wearing fake Yeezys walking down the street, you know, like, or fake gold chains. My yeah. whole life growing up, those, like, bamboo earrings you can buy at the mall with, like, yeah. girls' names and cursive. Yeah. I love that stuff. Like, So for me, it's like this, uh, there's authenticity and beauty in that, in, in the artifice and in the synthetic. And so I, I, I think of fan art as something that's also really beautiful. I mean, people are really passionate about the stuff that they're making. Those people, those celebrities or those fictional characters. Yeah. I, um, I'm so interested in fiction and dedicating so much time and effort into making that. I, I People take that seriously. And I, I don't think that that's something that, necessarily has to be taken lightly or looked down upon so for me um i i don't see any shame in fan art um yeah so that that's like one thing that i'm doing and then the other body of work that i'm about to start is um uh portraits of people of black men um tending to their homes uh, i just became a homeowner which is really exciting for me so i saw a, pic- a picture of a friend of mine michael uh helping his grandmother gardening in their in her front yard and i just thought there was something so sweet and in thinking of like black people owning property and tending to their home or tending to their bodies tending to whatever and so i i think that um watching um seeing black people taking care of those things and owning something uh, is really beautiful and important to me. I Watching a lot of, you know, growing up in Philly, watching a lot of those area, areas of black owned businesses or um, 
people living in certain neighborhoods that were predominantly black or whatever, um, getting sort of erased. Right. right and right. so, uh, so really trying to fossilize or encapsulate, um, those moments of black people owning something and tending to it and taking care of it and beautifying something, I think is this next chapter of work that I'm focusing on. Yeah. Owning something super important. Yeah. I feel like, uh, cause it creates a foundation for everything else. Yeah. You know? Uh, regarding uh, things that you read, I'm just curious, what are um, some of the books and things that you read that helps influence the work that you make? Yeah, um, so I I read a lot of predominantly fiction, um, predominantly like sci-fi, science fantasy, speculative fiction, um, there's epic like a, fantasy novels. There's definitely a magical realism yeah, to your paintings. for sure. And all of that is like, uh, you know, I, I love... Um, Samuel Delaney, I love um, Octavia Butler, Audre Lorde. I, um, but then I also love, like, you know, really nerdy sci-fi like what, or, what? like, f- fantasy. Like, Brandon Sanderson, I mean, okay. is, like, kind of a classic. I mean, he's a huge name in um, epic fantasy right now. Um, the Wheel of Time series. The um, Yeah, I, I read the Stormlight Archives. I've read... Uh, um, Brandon Sanderson's other series, the Mistborn series. And um, it's interesting to think back on my, like uh, my experiences taking science courses and things like that and seeing how that alchemy and all of that kind of is uh, a really wonderful and smart way to root uh, magic in like, or to create a world of magic rooted in something that is real. or something that we can understand, uh, I think that makes magic even more believable right. um, is when you can actually tether it to something in science or in um, in our actual world, in our day-to-day experiences. And so I think that Brandon Sanderson does that really well. I recently read a book by this African writer. This uh, I f- forget her name off the top of my head, but the name of the book is called Who Fears Death? Um, and it's an epic fantasy novel that is rooted in certain traditions in, uh, I believe, West Africa. Um, and so, uh, you know, it deals with um, certain magic that they actually, uh, certain religions there do still believe in. Um, and then also it it's rooted in some historical events. It uh, Similarly to like how Game of Thrones, a lot of those wars are rooted in actual right. historical events. So right. um, yeah, this book, Who Fears Death, is incredible. I mean, it talks about... Uh, uh, clitoral um, circumcision and and that allowing access to these uh, magical experiences and powers and it's it's uh, it talks about um, certain types of skin tone and how there's a certain you know social hierarchy of course um, there uh, that exists and um, it's it's really really fascinating way to root magic in something that's not science-based but actually based more in like socio-political issues um yeah it's it's really amazing yeah yeah i should read that it's really good you yeah. should definitely read it well no i mean just like yeah. Well, well yeah because i mean also i mean both of us we think about a lot about skin color yeah right, in our works oh and, and you should also read nk jeminson's uh books i mean she has a couple she has a, i think two trilogies okay. out um that are epic fantasy and she's a black author that is uh she's won quite a few awards recently uh the way she also thinks of magic is sort of tethered more to um natural 
disasters. So like earthquakes. Um, yeah, it, it's fascinating to see how people like sort of, uh, you know, use different systems to create, uh, to, to do world building. It's right, really right, great. right. And so how do those books, do you think those books directly um, affect your painting or sort of indirectly where you just read and you kind of let the feeling of it wash over into your painting? Probably more indirectly than anything. A lot of the time when I'm reading these, sometimes I go back and forth between reading the physical book and listening to it in the studio. So um, sometimes it's just like I have a very clear vision of the colors of something or how something feels and that might come into the painting in some capacity. Uh, there's uh, this one fantasy series, what's it called? Oh, they have a TV show now for it, uh, The Magicians. Um, and it's just like, it's kind of like uh, Chronicles of Narnia meets Harry Potter, but for adults. I like, it's like it's like, it's like It's like if Chuck Palahniuk, the guy who yeah, wrote yeah. Fight Club, yeah. uh, wrote like a fan fiction version of those two books together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's super cheesy, but also like kind of great. And um, in its own way, it's... Uh, and you're recommending the TV show or the book? I haven't watched the TV show. I, wa- I watched like an episode of it. I don't know about that. Um, so I, I don't want to suggest that. Um, I'd say go for it if you want. Yeah, know. yeah. It's on the sci-fi channel. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, I mean... They, it's got multiple seasons, so someone's watching it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would say read the book if you want. I mean, it's not, it's it's easy reading. It's not the most inventive, but it is fun <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of um, magic that uses a lot of hand gestures in that. And so there's a lot of visuals that I get with that. Um, and so I do paint hands a lot. So sometimes I do think of manifesting magic through hand gestures um, as opposed to using something uh, channeling magic through something like a wand right right and, right um you know in old school literature of like thinking of witches and wizards using a wand or using um a spell book or something like i'm i'm interested in magic uh that's embedded into the crust of the earth or like in brandon sanderson's book sometimes magic is uh is in everything is in like uh you know if you're feeling really anxious people can see it there there's like a physical physiological something that actually is visible that um happens when you feel glorified or when you feel um really angry people can actually visibly see feel that it, feel and, that energy um not just feel it but literally see it mm-hmm. it has a color it has a shape it has a motion to it um um yeah so you know i'm, I'm interested in all of those little things so yeah it certainly comes into the painting i don't know if it comes into necessarily the uh you know, I don't like make fan art of those moments necessarily that explicitly, but I do think it comes into the work more explicitly that comes into the work is like um, folklore or like uh, fairy tales, that type of stuff. I definitely take more directly from um, like books about folklore and fairy yeah, tales. So, yeah. So, you know, looking at different folklore from the Caribbean or folklore from, or uh, fairy tales from, you know, um, you know, like looking at like Grimm's fairy tales and then backtracking where those fairy tales were even originating from. Um, so yeah, understanding the sort of dark history of fairy tales and folklore and um, and how those stories had a real function, I think. Um, so even thinking of like the origin mythology that I was mentioning before, 
makes more sense to me to lean more towards um, fairy tales and folklore and less towards epic fantasy. I think um, folklore is rooted more in, um, I don't know, telling you a, a cautionary tale, right? Or, uh, or saying something hopeful or how to do something or the effects of a, you know, cause B and like, this is like, you know, do not do this. Or, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that those affect more directly. So like for me, I think a lot about um, fairy tales and the sort of like fantastical landscape of like just the woods is fantasy, right? Or like the sky or like the, um, the mountains. The mountains. Yeah. Like, you know, that's magic. It's yeah. very simple. Like I love that like pared down simplistic view right. of like magic or plains, like a lot of my... yeah. The paintings have teardrops they're crying bodily fluids having magic um thinking about like uh greek mythology and like that type of um yeah that type of magic right so it seems like you're pulling from both i guess in both ways the past and the present right yeah. the past the mythology and these sci-fi books yeah um but yeah interestingly enough your paintings seem to i guess they exist in both ways the figures are almost like the future, but the symbolism seems to reference more the past. Yeah. The snakes, the teardrops, you know. Um, yeah, I haven't made any new creatures yet. I don't know, maybe that'll happen someday where I make up some animals or something or some fantastic beasts. Would you put yourself in a sci-fi situation or no? Um, sci-fi's trickier for me. I'm not as, um, I don't know, there's something about painting something that fits into a sci-fi realm to me that would be cold feeling i don't know sci-fi like i love sci-fi i love watching sci-fi but i don't i i love painting things that are a little more organic than that and not super slick yeah um i like your paintings are so slick they're not that slick. (laughs) oh come on i think they've got like lumpy edges on stuff like i like that kind of um grittiness or the like like thinking of like a drag queen right like um underneath certain lighting it looks super slick but you know in the daytime it's not like yeah, the most yeah. pristine yeah. <laughs> of an edge um i think uh but there's like things like blade runner and like oh yeah genre sure. of like sci-fi that isn't like star wars or isn't right. like uh no uh 2001 space odyssey yeah something. totally i mean even even like thinking of like uh like octavia butler right like right. that's not necessarily um, spaceships and right, like all right. that, but um, kinesis and that yeah. kind of things. Right. So I think yeah, that that stuff is interesting to me. I think it's a it's just a little trickier. I, I I'm interested in it. I just don't know how that would manifest in my paintings just yet. Right. Um, fantasy intrigues me a little bit more. I think because like, um, to me, there's simultaneously more of an innocence, but also a darkness to it. Um, mm. Whereas like sci-fi. I think is cold and it's um it's, it's something about sci-fi that like I don't know there's like a like every time I watch something that's like sci-fi or I read something that's sci-fi it's heavily tethered to politics war um or like a um I think I would need to do if I were going to delve into sci-fi I'd need to like create an entire world with so much specificity I would almost like love to do something like that but like maybe in a a comic book or something like that i only ask because to me it yeah. seems like a natural progression i'm fascinated by sci-fi i just don't know how that works yet. Or, and, yeah yeah i don't know how that works in my paintings yet yeah yeah, yeah. 
so you see, because I mean, like, I guess your your paintings do have a socio-political message, but I guess in your case, you're more interested in using the bodies versus the setting. Yeah. Um, I, oh God, I haven't made a landscape painting or like a still life in so long. Um, yeah, I, I, but I mean, I, I just, I've always been more interested in the body, the figure. Um, so I think the, that for me, I would, I can't really imagine doing a lot of world building and making paintings of just that as of right now. Um, I'm not totally opposed to the idea. I just, I am not in that headspace right now. Yeah. Yeah. But that would be cool. I mean, I'm totally fascinated. I, I would love to see, I would love to be able to like, I don't know, put on some like VR goggles and see what a painting of mine would look like. I don't want to see if without, uses VR. No, not goggles. in that actual I'm just saying like someone could Oh uh, yeah. Wait, pay, you tell pay, me yeah. what my paintings are gonna look yeah, like yeah, that don't yeah. have a figure in it. I would yeah. like show me that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would need to be in some virtual reality because I haven't made it. But um yeah, I just need to I I would love to make some non figurative paintings just and see just to see what that would look like. I not there right now. Um we'll see if it happens all right and uh so this coming october you got a solo show in the warhol museum mm-hmm. uh which of those um what do you call it those uh, narratives are you going to show in the warhol so in that show um it's entitled cry baby there's a comma there cry comma baby um the the bodies of work that'll be in there it ranges over the past about like i think it's the oldest work in there is maybe from 20 13 20, really 14 maybe 2014 i can't remember exactly which painting is that um maybe it's 2014 it would be like a i think it's the i showed it here in pittsburgh actually my first year here um it was it the all black bodies in the yeah black, against a black it's background he, yeah okay. um he whispers light into the night is the title of that painting and it's like uh that's one of the first paintings i made here in pittsburgh um that might be the oldest one in the show uh but yeah the the show has a lot of the mythological works it has um a number of the barbershop works it also has a few sculptures that i've made or rather objects um you don't want to call them sculptures i didn't really build anything um not to say that you have to but i pretty much covered ever touch his no but you know what i mean like (laughs) i didn't i didn't fabricate a thing like it's it's like a they're they're objects for sure they're nameable like i kind of cover I change. I alter the patina of pre-existing objects, and so I just kind of um, think of them as objects. Uh, I'm not saying they're less than sculpture. I'm just saying I didn't really. I don't think of them as participant. Like I do, literally. Like I call it a swing. It's not a sculpture of a mm. swing. It is a swing. Period. Um, I've made a hoodie. It is a hoodie. Uh, I'm not saying it's not art. I'm not saying it's not sculpture. I'm not saying it's on a three-dimensional object. I just am saying it that it's certainly an object and right. and it and it is a hoodie. Like it's not um yeah, and I think it's important that it is that object. Uh, a lot of the objects that I make are um sort of within the language of um the sort of visual language of uh like urban memorials. And so uh, like they literally are objects. Sometimes it'll be a stuffed animal. It is a stuffed animal. It's not a sculpture of one. It's not cast in some fancy materials if it's a swing i bought a swing <laughs> and then i covered it in rhinestones or something you know so i'm um, yeah so for me that's like a, a 
call them objects because I think it's important that they are what they are. Right. Um, Not glorifying it right, beyond yeah. what they signify, which yeah. is, in the most cases, a memorial, right? So those, uh, some of those works, there's uh, there's one, one hoodie, there are two swings, there's a number of the barbershop paintings, like I said, some of the self-grooming paintings, one painting of a drag queen will be in there. Um, and then, yeah, that, I think that's, that's it. So there's 30, something like 35 works. Right, right. Um, that's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> and there's photos from a performance that I did on Fire Island. Okay, yeah. Um, which is sort of like heavily tethered to that mythological body Right, of work. right, right, yeah. right. It's me sort of like fully embodying that character in real time. Right, right. Um, so there's four, four photos. Right. I guess my last question I guess looking at your barbershop, I was struck by your interest in them and how you're talking about how it's both a safe space for you and not a safe space. Mm-hmm. You can't you you exist there as a black body, but you also don't exist there as I guess a straight black man. Mm-hmm. You know how 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 do you see yourself navigating yourself within the art world with all the success in a space that for uh, the white body and the white um, the white artists. So my show at the Warhol actually has programming that um, is very much uh, about reaching out into the black community here and bringing them into those spaces. It's actually, it's really tricky, even um, trying to get a barber to Are you gonna have be in conversation or to do something, yeah, or to do like a performance in conversation with this body of work is challenging. The, the body, that body of work, I think, is... Um, is still not something that people feel super easy about. I even talked to somebody that's the daughter of one of the barbershop owners here locally, one of the black barbershops, and she was like, Ooh, there's certain, I don't know if I can get my dad to talk with you at the show because, you know, there's just some things that you don't talk about in the barbershop. So I'm literally highlighting that in this work, right. and it's still an issue, right? So um, it starts a conversation, right? What I did when I made that work, which was really great, was um, it was almost like a call out to other people who identify similarly or who are open enough and interested in in art that they would engage with it and ask questions, come to a talk of mine, um, and or people who have shared experiences. And so bringing together a community of people like-minded in terms of like wanting to feel they are welcome in a space like that, right? Or that there is a space for them. Um, so my goal with that work is not necessarily to change the mind of black barbers, right? Like, I mean, that would be great. I'm not saying that's not something that would be amazing, but that's a challenge that I don't know if that's something that, you know, me making some paintings is going to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's not to say that I don't try to engage in other things. Like, again, I have programming that um, is making an attempt at, reaching out to these people, bringing them into these spaces, having, starting a conversation. That's all I can hope for. That's the best that I can hope for. And that's just like a, that's a start. Right. right and that's right. something. Um, so, or, or even calling out to, to other queer black identifying people that people of color that want to come together. I don't know, maybe we can start a conversation and create a space that we do feel totally comfortable in to right. get a haircut. Right. So, right. so for me, it's like, it's just like putting the work out there. Um, a lot of people do see it, whether it's through social media, whether it's through going to the museum, whether it's through whatever, yeah. um, they see it and um, hopefully it can start a dialogue. So that's, I think, the goal. Right. Um, I think a lot of times when you see, when 
I would see a black artist showing in a major museum or something, I'm going to go. Um, so a lot of people, you know, I look at who went to the Dina Lawson show here. A lot of black people went. They weren't, you know, necessarily super uh, happy with maybe the didactics surrounding the work, but um, but you get a black audience, right? So I think that um, being visible and being in those white box spaces brings black people to those spaces. So again, it will hopefully just start a conversation, allowing people to see themselves in a space in which they maybe normally don't feel super welcome. Right. What did you think about that Dina Lawson situation? I saw that show in three different locations. Yeah. So, um, you know, in New York, it was great. Oh, yeah, yeah everybody's yeah, like, oh, yeah. it's great. And it's like the same work here. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but That's what and, everyone says. Yeah, it's the same work, but it's just like, uh, you know, it's all context, right? So now you're in Pittsburgh. It's a yeah. different landscape, different cultural landscape here. There's different things going on. There's a di- different relationship with the museum to uh, the black community here. Right, so right. you need a lot more didactics in, in, in that. Um, you need to be way more generous with uh, inviting black people to come to the artist talk, right? Like I went to that. I found out about it from someone else. I didn't even know it was happening. I found out from somebody else that was like, oh, you're going to this, right? Yeah. And I was like, no, I had no idea this was going on. And I'm an, a black artist working in Pittsburgh and nobody thought to tell me. Yeah, you so, would be a target audience. You know, and then I go and then, you know, there's some black people there, but not enough, you know? And and then, uh, so yeah, I think, I think the show, I think the work is great. I don't think that the didactics accompanying, accompanying the work were ideal for Pittsburgh in 2018, you know, yeah. or 2017, whenever the show was up. Um, like I, I think, uh, I think institutions have a responsibility to the communities in which they are engaging with to, to go out and ask questions at like, you know, before <laughs> putting something up and putting it out there and just saying, Oh, here, you're welcome take this show, here's a black person, right. you get it, right? Like, you know, that's not enough. Um, not with that type of work. I mean, that no. work here, that work doesn't look like a representation of black people that maybe a black parent wants to show their child, right? They might want their black child to see more heroic representations or positive representations, quote unquote, you know, of of black people that don't look like they're in impoverished homes or in small spaces that are cluttered or um, with, you know, uh, grills in their mouth. And so, like, I, I get that. Um, I think that then in order to show work like that and have black audiences feel comfortable with it or excited about it or feel like that's a representation of their community that they feel comfortable with being put out there into this white box space where predominantly white audiences, like you said, go to, right? So now all these white people are going into this space, seeing this version of black people. Right. Um, you know, it's embracing certain stereotypes. It's, it's, uh, feels like a fetish. Yeah. A fetish. Yeah. It's sort of like, it can feel exploitative without the right, uh, didactics and conversation surrounding it. So, uh, I felt mixed about it when I saw it here, but I felt great about it when I saw it at Sigmund yeah. Jenkins, right? Yeah. <laughs> like in Chelsea, it's yeah. great. Like yeah. everybody's like eating it up. Yeah, um, yeah. But here it's tricky. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, anything you want to talk about? Oh God, I don't know. I feel like I. 
talk about all the same stuff all the time. <laughs> I think. Um, I, don't think so. I mean, like, I we talked so much. I mean, I was a little nervous about this talk because I feel like I've talked to you so much. Yeah. That I didn't want to skip make, over skip anything. over thing or like you know we've had so many discussions after uh, in between our classes. You know, last year. Yeah. Um. No, I don't know. I think I talked about a lot of things that run through my mind with my work. I uh, talked about some of the new things that are coming out, which I'm excited about. Um, even just projecting forward, I, I'm i now in a place where I'm working on multiple bodies of work simultaneously, which is really energizing and refreshing to do um, to keep my, I don't know, to keep energy in the work. I think that's like exciting to think about what's to come. I have a show coming up in April, possibly two solo shows, which will be it's a little stressful, but it's exciting. I think I'm, I have this momentum going. We can really trade great. if you're that stressed out. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'll keep them. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm moving towards making more, uh, more sculptural work or yeah. object-based work. Um, and, and so we'll see how that goes. I'm st- again, I'm thinking of black ownership. I think that's like sort of more where I'm moving towards. Uh, making some fossils coming up. Uh, fossils. Bone fossils. Not bone fossils, like resin fossils. Oh. Uh, so, you know, like when you find like a, I don't know, something that, like a bug cast in resin or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a tree and... Made of amber, yeah, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so sculptures like that. What are you going to put in them? So, det- or uh, sort of remnants from places that have been erased, uh, where the communities have been erased. Um, I think about when I, even when I was just in Miami, there's Little Haiti is being erased and turning into Little River, yeah, right? So yeah. that's gone um, or going to be, I'm sure. Just did you enjoy Little Haiti when you went there? Yeah, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was like I hadn't seen you know chickens walking around in someone's yard. I think I saw like the that. same yeah. chickens. Actually, I had <laughs> yeah, a like, video of that, and I was like, I haven't seen like... that in a long time. So that was great. I was like, whoa, this is <laughs> this really is Little Haiti. Um, yeah, so uh, there's things like that. There's uh, areas here in Pittsburgh that that's happening. Um, you know, looking at East Liberty and how that's shifting. I'm thinking of Philly. There's certain neighborhoods that like Port Richmond and now there's like Northern Liberties, I think it's called. Uh, so yeah, just like all these areas. And I think that's near Fishtown. All these areas just changing the name and then putting in like a yoga studio and like a brunch place and um, you know, like uh, renovating old homes and keeping the charm, but then moving in new people, and it's just you know it's happening. It happens everywhere, but it. Uh, I'm thinking of keeping some of the sort of remnants of those spaces and what I remember them to be. So, like thinking of my time in Philly, there was there were certain corner stores that sold uh, these like brands of chips that. <laughs> Don't exist so, anymore. I don't. I, I maybe they do in some corner stores, but I haven't seen them in a long time. But uh, I went online to try to find some of them. But they I, there's different brands. Um, but they have these like clunky, sort of like graphic line drawings of like Lil Romeo or Lil Bow Wow on them and like Master P and stuff. No, and, yeah, it's so funny. And they're like, I think they're called like homies or <laughs> they had they had home girls. Like, oh, so good. Like, and they were just these. Off brand chips. That's funny. They the gendered. They gendered the chips. Oh yeah, there were girl versions of the same. Oh my chips. god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, or like uh, 
he's just like, I don't know, it's just certain remnants from certain places like yeah, that. And yeah. like uh, having them sort of immersed in fossils. And yeah, I'm thinking of making some things like that. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting <laughs> project. I think it'd be good. Yeah. So yeah, there's like just some things coming up. So a lot of uh, more sculptural work. Uh, some of the other sculptural work that I'm making also sort of ties itself more towards the uh, mythological, magical realm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that I have coming up in some upcoming shows that I'm looking forward to. Uh, sculpture and painting interacting as well as performance uh, for some of these things. So just really opening up my practice yeah. a lot more um, and allowing all those things to sort of like free flow in a space together and be in dialogue with each other. Right. So. I mean, I just remember when I first met you, I was, I thought of you primarily as a painter, but then as I saw your paintings, I saw how you were creating a space for your paintings and it became insulation based and I'm excited to see where you're going to go next. Me too. I would love to just like close my eyes and then wake up and it's like May. It's May. Next year. (laughs) And then you, you, and then then you have like, you know, five solo shows and you'll still be complaining. It's it's not, it's not a complaint. It's more like a little bit of a reminder to myself that I need to be like, just giving you a hard time. I know, I know (laughs) you're not actually complaining. It's, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me very, very slowly posting on Instagram <laughs> at Devin Shimoyama. Um, and then, you know, your website, yeah, my website, which gets updated about as, uh, often as I have a show. So usually once I have a show, I sort of like, put yeah, yeah. Up there. um, but yeah, and the same with my Instagram is like, when I have something coming up, I, I share work. I don't often share work in, in progress or anything give away all my secrets um i never yeah. show works in progress because i don't no. i can't show I my people work. doing that these I days i can't do that it stresses me out i'm like some of this stuff looks bad i know <laughs> I wanna, and it, or you know or maybe sometimes it looks better in certain stages i don't want to show people I, that i um I, I don't think i re- i ever show works in progress because i'm always like shouldn't i be working yeah like not showing things in progress yeah you know what i mean i take a lot of photos in progress though yeah yeah uh I, I guess you're doing like video stuff. I do video stuff, so yeah, it's harder. Yeah, but yeah, I'm trying. Even when I do my sculptures, though, I wasn't really documenting doing thing- it in, in progress. progress. I photograph my paintings every single time I right before I leave the studio. Really? If I've done a move, I take a picture of it. I have like every stage of every one of my. Paintings Is that helpful? Because um, I go home and I think about them. I just stare at it and think about what I what I'm doing going to do next or how to resolve something so do you ever go backwards and be like i liked how this was and you erase what you did in the Um, present my practice isn't really forgiving so no i can't really do that so it's more like like for the next page it's just more so like oh okay i shouldn't have done that or Mm. (laughs) or i did this it's terrible yeah it's so bad um and this is how i resolved it so this is how i will do that next time if i make this mistake Yeah, yeah yeah or you know things like that so it's like yeah, I have I have an obsessive uh, nature when it comes to documenting my work. I document every single step of the way. It's weird, but it also it also works for yeah. you because you're also making so quickly. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's good for me to be looking at it all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. All right, thank you, Devin. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.
Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziyuan Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.